Hey guys, welcome to the first official episode of Cape Down, a podcast all about superheroes. The number one podcast in Italy now in it. What is it? <laughs> nope. 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 <laughs> number three. Number three. Podcast I don't know. I like texted you guys after we got the Twitter bio and Ryan texted back the number three. Italy's number three uh, comic book podcast now in English. Now in English. And it, it's great. It stuck. It was great. Great work. <laughs> I'm Tyler Huckabee. I'm Chris Youngblood. I'm Hannah Mazzell. And I'm Ryan Ham. And uh, every week we pick a superhero or something from the superhero world and we just talk about it. You may have heard our previous podcast, which was very similar, uh, called It's a Bird, It's a Plane, It's a Podcast, which is no longer with us. Um, uh, but we, I think we're, we're back uh, we, we rebooted, we have a dark gritty, this is our dark gritty reboot, I suppose. And we're going to try all this again. And we, if you need like a recap of the last like year and a half of superheroes, we actually do have what we're going to call, I think sidekicks, uh, which you can also find on our podcast episode page. But in the meantime, today we are talking about Batgirl, which yes, <laughs> she's great. Go. <laughs> and go. Everybody's like, <laughs> We're already oh, no, we got to blow the dust before off. We, before we get into that, we actually, just like we used to do, we actually always start off with a little bit of news from comic books. Uh, to start things off, Chris, what's the biggest comic book news that you've heard in the past, I don't know, week and a half or so? Ooh, uh, probably my favorite news of the last 17 years is Dan Slott is finally leaving Amazing Spider-Man. Tell me why, tell me what your like, beef is, because I thought it was Dan Slott, who's been writing Spider-Man for about as long as I've been alive, it feels like. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought it was fine. I thought he did. I thought it was okay. Yeah, what didn't you like about him? You weren't like an avid. I'm not a huge yeah. Spider-Man. Like Spider-Man is on my like catch up with it if I if I have time. Yeah, so, I, I mean, he's definitely done stuff that like nobody else has done with the character. I mean, he's been on it for whatever like 200 issues at this point. Yeah, really long um, time. Which he had some really good arcs. He, he, he had did. some like he did. really good. Arcs. He told some really cool stories, but like, I think overall, I just I'm ready for a fresh voice. I mean, my favorite take on Spider Man over the like last fifteen to twenty years was definitely um, Bendis's Ultimate Superman <laughs> or Spider Man. Oh boy, ooh, ooh, we're rusty. Ooh, we're rusty. <laughs> <laughs> Ultimate no, Ultimate Spider Man. <laughs> Ultimate Spider Man by Brian Michael Bendis was uh, sort of a definitive, even though it was an alternate take on the character, it became really definitive. And uh, and then Dan Slott has had Spider-Man for, how many years has it been? It's 10 years. 10 years. Yeah, because he did, Brand New Day might have been his actual start. And I think that was at like issue 548. Okay. And then, yeah, that sounds right. And he'll wrap up on uh, the 800th issue over the Man, next couple months. that's crazy. Yeah, 800 so issues. Like he's leading into his like final story um and so who's yeah. taking is it nick spencer who's taking over for him i don't think they've actually announced it oh we don't yeah, know who's yeah, taking yeah. over for yeah him. so yeah i'm like i'm honestly just like super excited just to see like what they where they take peter from this point there's like rumors that they're actually like he'll actually like bring mj and peter back oh, together sure Sure. Mary Jane. It's like a farewell. Like <laughs> Mary Jane and Peter Parker haven't been married in 10 years because of the, one of the worst all-time Spider-Man stories. 
which I think we've we've complained about before back in the to bird to plane days, in which Peter Parker made a deal with the devil to save Aunt May's life that involved them getting their marriage wiped from the pages of history. That sounds like Comic I'm exaggerating, <laughs> but that is what actually happened, and it was as terrible as it sounds. Uh, so I think it, so. Yeah, I like Dan Slot, <laughs> but uh, if you're excited, I'm excited for you, buddy. Thank you. I, that means a lot. <laughs> uh, what other news? That Ryan, do you have any news? Yeah, uh, this week a, a picture leaked, and I, I assume it's official because it made it all over the place. But um, the first costume for Brie Larson's upcoming Captain Marvel movie uh, was revealed. And um, it was a little bit different, I think, than people were expecting, mostly because I think everyone had in mind uh, kind of the, obviously, Brie Larson's playing Carol Danvers. So um, the only costume Carol Danvers has ever worn is kind of that classic red and navy uh, suit. But the one Brie Larson is wearing in the photos is uh, kind of this green color. So everyone's trying to figure out why. Um, Some people are saying, and Tyler, you mentioned this, is that the original Captain Marvel, the alien hero Marvel. Um, <laughs> I love the, comic books. There's an actual yeah. character in Marvel Comics named Marvel, who yeah. who is like connected to a character named Captain Marvel. It's great. This is why this is why yeah. I come here. It's why we do the podcast. <laughs> yeah. So he originally had a suit that was green, kind of like the color she was wearing. But I I also think um, there's a possibility that like any piece of her suit that's green could be basically green screen for CGI. Um, So it'll be interesting to see where it goes, but uh, mostly it's just nice to know that they're actually working on Captain Marvel. I did like that the costume, it it looked, it looked really solid. It didn't have, and I know some people pointed this out and I think rightfully so with the reveal of the Ant-Man and the Wasp costume. And that movie's coming out somehow later this year. And I'm looking forward to seeing what it does, but the wasp Evangeline Lily's wasp costume has this sort of weird boob armor that has like individual like pulled out slots for her boobs, and it's it's a little weird and I think sort of unnecessary. And I'm glad that they steered clear of that temptation with Brie Larson's otherwise very practical looking costume. And I love Brie Larson; she's a great fit for the character. I'm excited to see where they where they take the movie. Excited about the directors and the writers they have working on it. We'll see where it goes. All I've really seen Bill Larson in his room. Can I just say as a woman, I'm very torn on the subject of the armor. I feel like it's it's weird that I'm the one who brought it (laughs) (laughs) up. Maybe we'll take this out. Let me me speak into that for a moment because I I totally understand the importance and the merit of boob armor because... You know, you don't want to be knocked in the boob without like some protection. So, like, I've I could. All I could, my life. <laughs> Man, this is a this is a TVMA podcast now. <laughs> <laughs> well, like, okay, we all remember the Batman and Robin, right? Uh, yeah, yeah, with, with, the the with the nipples right there, and I think if yeah. guys get nipples armor, then it's only because like girls. you don't need like a nipple imprint on the armor. Like, there's no reason for it. Like. Uh, I think you do if you're Joel Schumacher. <laughs> <laughs> what Joel Schumacher needs and what he doesn't is just irrelevant. Because that seems to be a key part of his aesthetic. <laughs> but regardless, like the idea of armor around, you know, parts of your body that have nerve endings, I, I don't know that I can like critique that. I think that that's unnecessary. Like it makes sense as a woman who I have a body 
much like the wasp's body. Nami not is perfect because she's Evangeline Lilly and she's perfect no. in a lot of ways. No. But like the the idea of protection there makes sense. You have nerve endings. So I'm just gonna say that. Anyway, so like the idea of like protection that <laughs> part of the body. I don't think that's that that's sexist. Like I think it's just necessary. I, I wouldn't if I were a superhero kicking butt doing martial arts, I wouldn't want a kick to the chest without some kind of protection. And I'll leave it at there. I rescind my critique in the name of being an ally. <laughs> <laughs> you heard it here first, folks. Uh, a okay. <laughs> so, uh, what I was going to bring up, speaking of being an ally, I suppose, something that should have happened probably at least six years ago is that is finally happening. Uh, there is a script in the works for a real live Black Widow movie coming from Marvel Studios that will be starring Scarlett Johansson. It's being written by Jack Schaefer. She wrote a movie that is on the blacklist that is like very well known as being like a, a kind of hot, high in demand script that I don't believe has actually been made yet or even titled, but she's known as an up, a rising up and coming writer. The most recent thing that she wrote is unfortunately that frozen short that was at the beginning of Coco that everybody hated, but We've all got to pay the bills, so I'm not going to judge a writer off of one Pixar animated short. Uh, but I think it's weird, and it's kind of a bummer that there wasn't a Black Widow movie earlier. I think it's really weird that there's a Scarlett Johansson movie called Red Sparrow that looks to be lifting the Black Widow's origin pretty much wholesale. Wait, you mean Jennifer, Jennifer Lawrence? Excuse right? me, I'm sorry. Yeah, Jennifer Lawrence movie called Red Sparrow that that looks like it rips it off really to a T, but I am glad there's a Black Widow yeah. movie that is coming. That we're going to get a real live Black Widow movie, and I hope it's good. Black Widow's a great character. She's a legacy at Marvel. Uh, she has, she just wrapped, there was a Mark Wade run of hers that was fantastic that just wrapped a couple months ago. So I'm glad that she's finally getting what she's deserved for a very long time. Thinking of like them throwing it back, like pre-Marvel Universe yeah. for her, like and, and doing something even like potentially integrated with Winter Soldier, um, just to kind of shed light on her comment in uh, Civil War when she asked uh, Bucky if he even remembers her when he's like kind of like flipping out. Yeah. Um, I would just I would love for them to be able to build on that. Do you ship um, them? Do you huh? ship? Do you ship Scarlett Johansson? Do you no. ship Black Widow and Winter no. Soldier? I kind of want. I, I've always kind of shipped uh, her and Cap. Oh, you ship her and Cap? What? Wow. Yeah. Wow, I'm just like I'm just like wanting one goodbye, like farewell kiss before Cap bites the dust. In Between Infinity Black War. Widow and Captain America, <laughs> yeah. I actually I kind of agree with Chris. I feel like that's what? that's a really great angle Thanks. because there's a really great friendship there. You know, like they trust each other. I think their like friendship in Winter Soldier was really great. The fact that they had a lot of camaraderie without any romantic undertones was I thought a really big a really big win for the platonic friendship between males and females market in superhero movies and I want to keep it alive. I can respect that. <laughs> I just also think that like friendship is the cornerstone of a great like, you know, intimate relationship as well oh, and wow. it could work. And yeah. I don't know if I like totally buy into the Black Widow Hulk romantic storyline. They really tried. They're really, really trying hard. It to happen. I did, not There's there. not much chemistry there, in my, in my opinion. I, I don't know if everyone agrees with that, but in my opinion, eh. anyway. It absolutely didn't make sense to me, and eh, whatever. I like the. It's a very Joss Whedon thing to do 
to give like the nerdy science guy yeah. the, the kick-ass assassin. <laughs> yeah. That feels like a job. It's very much like, like a nerdy male wish fulfillment. Kind of yeah, I didn't. Need <laughs> Any other news, Hannah? Do you have anything? Oh yeah. Uh, so I have just started reading Sabrina the Teenage Witch, which people from you know my generation might have remembered from the TGAF series Sabrina the Teenage Witch, starting Melissa Joan Hart. Um, like it was yesterday. Yeah. <laughs> so um, I don't know who the publisher is. I forget, but it's the same people who do Archie. Uh, they released the Chilling Adventures of Sabrina, and I think um, they just have eight issues now. Uh, I've read the first volume. It's it's really great. It's called the Chilling Adventures of Sabrina. It is very different from the Melissa Joan Hart series that you saw on ABC back in the late 1990s, early 2000s. Like darker? Like the Archie TV oh, show is on the yes. CW? Okay. Yes. Way darker. I was surprised by that because, you know, like originally the series was supposed to be on the CW because the CW has Riverdale. And uh, I guess, I don't really know why, but it moved to Netflix. I'm assuming because maybe they realized that uh, it was a little too adult, maybe, and they could do better, critically speaking, on the Netflix. Uh but um, it's awfully dark. I don't know if uh, have any of you guys ever seen uh, the the witch, the movie that came yes, out last year. And I love it. Yeah. It's a okay. great, that's a really great movie. Really great, but awfully satanic. And uh, the Chilling Adventures of Sabrina is very satanic. It does not steer away from that. It's pretty dark. So this is like witch. Like she's a she's not like a fun witch. Like hey, cool spells. This is like no. like cutting like sacrificing not, people and yeah. pentagrams and exactly not in a cute sense. It's it's pretty serious, but I I love it so far. I've been reading it and I've been totally digging it. I don't know when volume two comes out, but I've loved it. Um, it's just it's just awfully dark. So brace yourselves for that. Um, so the Netflix series is supposed to come out, I think, in 2018. For everything I've been reading, I don't think they have an exact uh, release date yet. But it's starring uh, Kieran Shipka. I might be butchering her name. Um, but she was Sally Draper in Mad Men for those of us who've watched that show. Young actress, I think it would be totally great for this role, just based upon what I've read and her acting that I've seen in Mad Men. Um, but I'm pretty excited about it. But I'm curious to see the just just the differences because Sabrina the Teenage Witch for me growing up was like a pretty big deal. Like most of most girls my age remember Melissa Joan Hart in that role. And it had a long run, you know, I forget how long the season was, but it was, it was, it was a long, it was a long series run. And so this is a pretty uh, drastic departure in tone. It's, uh, it's, it's going to be a lot darker. So I'm curious to see what people think. So keep a lookout. It's going to come out sometime in 2018. You sold me on Sabrina, on the chilling adventures of Sabrina. I'm going to go pick it up. That sounds like right up my alley. Yeah. I'm hundred percent. Yes. And a plus, it's unlimited on Comixology, oh. so you can read I'm not going to go to my local comic book store and <laughs> support the local economy. <laughs> I'm just going to sit back in my couch and read it on Comixology. Yes. It's really weird because I was a huge Archie Comics fan like when I was in middle school and what? elementary. I, like, I didn't know late, that. Yeah, and like late elementary. So I like... I've had all these like weird mixed feelings about all these Archie reboots because it's all these creators that I love, and then I see and then I see screenshots of the pages, and I'm like, that's not Archie. <laughs> <laughs> so it's this like weird, it's this weird reframing of my childhood. But I also confess to being like extremely into the idea of a much darker uh, Sabrina, especially especially as soon as you name drop the witch. 
because um, that sounds awesome. Yeah, no, reading it, it felt like that. It was awfully dark. It took me by surprise, but it, it's really good because it, it made more sense. You know, like at the time, the Melissa Joan Hart series, like it worked. Um, but I don't yeah, think that's, that's how she was. I mean, that's how she was in the comics, too. It wouldn't make sense now for a story like yeah. that to come out. That original run was on for seven years. Sabrina was on for seven seasons? Yeah. Yeah. It was wow. really successful. That's like Mad Men territory. Yeah. Oh, that was, that's amazing. Okay. I'm pumped for the series now. And I, I'm honestly like, I'll give almost anything on Netflix a go. They're, they're pretty consistent. And the idea of like, I don't know, I'm kind of into like spooky because there's obviously there's, um, there was a New Mutants movie uh, based on a Marvel comic book run of the same name that was looking pretty interesting. They were taking it a horror direction. It's an X-Men spinoff called The New Mutants that looked pretty scary. They bumped it back a year from its release date, which doesn't speak super well of their confidence in the project. But I think it's time for superhero movies to start exploring other genres. The way Logan was kind of a Western, uh, the way Guardians of the Galaxy is really leaned into space opera. I feel like there's a lot of opportunities there in horror. I thought they might go that direction with Doctor Strange getting uh, Scott Derrickson as a director who became very famous for making scary movies like The Exorcism of Emily Rose. Uh, but I didn't find Doctor Strange overly scary, I suppose, in the final or analysis. interesting at all. <laughs> you didn't like it at all? <laughs> fine. Uh, I guess fine. It's, it's lower tier. It's lower tier. I didn't dislike it. It's they, lower they, tier Marvel. They needed to put that piece of the puzzle into like the whole whole thing before Infinity comes out, so... At least we got Dr. Strange on it. If all but it was Dormammu the, was awesome. Can we agree that Dormammu I, was awesome? I'm totally on board with Dormammu. I, th- I think the third act was one of the better like finales that oh, an MCU so movie had. Because it was so... They didn't just beat somebody until they gave in. They had to figure a way... Like Dr. Strange had to actually figure a way out of it. And I really appreciated that. There were some rough spots getting to that point. But I love Dormammu. And I love Dormammu have come here to bargain as a catchphrase. That was great. <laughs> I was on board with it. Um, let's transition to talking a little bit about this week's subject, Batgirl. Batgirl is having a little bit, or is a moment sort of coming. There is a Joss Whedon Batgirl movie that is rumored to be in the works. At this point, I think every DC announced movie should have a little asterisk next to it because they've been, sh- they've been shuffling the deck a lot over there. And, uh, and anything could happen at any moment. And Joss Whedon's career is also sort of up and down with some of the rumors that have been going around about him and his ex-wife. Uh, but there was at one point a Batgirl movie that was in the works. I would love to see a Batgirl movie. Um, she's been an iconic part of what's been happening at DC and part of the Bat family for a long time. A few of us like tried to cram in some Batgirl reads over the past couple of weeks. So we'll start by talking about The Killing Joke, which is still sort of, unfortunately, in a lot of ways, the definitive Batgirl story, even though she's sort of a tertiary player in it. The Killing Joke was a, I believe, 1989, is that correct? 1988 story by Alan Moore that has become very famous for his characterization of the Joker. Uh, It's an extremely uh, sadistic take on the Joker that really pulled him away from being sort of the, the madcap loony burglar that you saw in the 1960s tv show and made him something much darker and more psychopathic that you see a lot of depictions today including movies like the dark knight and suicide squad uh so what happens in it and we won't spoil anything too serious but what happens in it is the joker shows up at the gordon household barbara gordon who is 
Commissioner Gordon's daughter and who is Batgirl and by, as her night job gets shot in the spine and paralyzed. And then Jim Gordon is kidnapped. There is some very loosely implied sexual assault involved in the attack on Barbara Gordon. And uh, then the story moves into a psychological game between Batman, Commissioner Gordon, and the Joker. Batgirl doesn't really make another appearance in the story after that point. but uh, And that's sort of the problem, right, is that she, a very iconic, very important character in the DC continuity, is ost in a really calloused way. There's a famous or a famous anecdote about Alan Moore when he was scripting the story for DC Comics. He called the DC Brass and asked if it was okay for him to paralyze Barbara Gordon, to paralyze Batgirl. And apparently there was some, a little bit of back and forth on it before the editor at the time, a guy by the name of Len Wayne, who is a very uh, notable character in the comic book world, said cripple the bitch as his final determination which doesn't exactly cast the rest of the story in a very positive light for her. So that's the killing joke. Um, and it sounds grim and it is grim and it's an important, it started in many ways, a, a movement to sort of redeem the narrative that had been built around women in comic books up to that point. But I'm curious, Hannah, you brought up the, the killing joke and you saw the movie apparently. Uh, what did you, so the movie you'd say was trash and you don't like the story. What don't you like about the story? I think they, they victimized her in a very specific way that like you just don't normally see in comics. And I'm not really sure like like what was the need in telling this kind of story? It victimized a woman in a despicable way. And I'm not sure I have much more to say than that. I, I didn't like it. I've read some Alan Moore before and I he's you know, he's he's a rather controversial writer. He's pretty extreme. It wasn't really the way he depicted necessarily like the villains and other characters and the other storytelling aspects of this um, piece, but I just didn't feel it was necessary to to victimize her in such a brutal way. Other people might feel differently. I don't. It, it, it's a controversial piece, um, so people are going to feel. You know, I think it's going to be polarizing in a lot of ways. I just don't think it needed to be so visceral in that way. I I think the the animated movie came out a year two years ago. Um, I watched it and I was just uncomfortable in a lot of ways. It wasn't even just the Barbara Gordon storyline. There was a couple other storylines I thought that were just a little weird. But the way that she was victimized, I think, will make people feel uncomfortable. And um, I'm not sure it was necessary to tell her story in that kind of way and to victimize a character in that kind of way. I think it's probably worth noting that Alan Moore is sort of a, he's a very big name in superhero comics. He, he wrote the Watchmen. He wrote League of extraordinary gentlemen. Uh, the killing joke was a, was a very big deal. He casts a very large shadow over the whole genre. What happened to Barbara Gordon in the killing joke is not a fluke. There's, there's a lot of controversy that surrounds her. Oh, this story's particular in his treatment treatment of women and uh, and his depiction of sexualized violence as sort of a he leans back on that trope a lot what happened as a result of that something that became um a reaction to it that i think was very positive was a writer named gail simone who's still very active at dc created what she called uh, a movement around a trope that she called women in refrigerators 
um, where she explained how often she showed how often women in superhero comics are just used as a plot device to move the men forward. So women in refrigerators became, she would point it out whenever it happened. It was based off of a, a story in Green Lantern in which uh, the Green Lantern's girlfriend was killed and stuffed in a refrigerator in a very similar way to Barbara Gordon was just used as a, was maimed and murdered as a very calloused part of a, a longer plot line. So that sparked a movement to give a lot more agency to female superheroes in comic books, which ended up being very good. And Gail Simone is is fantastic and has been at the forefront of that for a long time. She's And she continues to write. She just finished the run on Batgirl. She's also helped write. Uh, she wrote Deadpool for a long time. She, and she's a wonderful Twitter follow if you guys are on Twitter. She does great work on there. So I think that it took something as bad as Barbara Gordon's treatment in The Killing Joke for there to be a movement that got a lot more positive, but it's un, it's unfortunate that that's what it took. Yeah, You have to talk about it, I think, in respect to Barbara Gordon. Yeah, you do. It's something that for a long time, uh, she was paralyzed. And we call it for 11 years, I think, after that, she was a woman who was in a wheelchair. Fortunately, some writers were able to use then her character to explore some interesting stories about people with physical disabilities. And she became a character who called herself the Oracle, and she was sort of an information broker in the superhero universe. She worked as an informant. She was the woman in the chair. I was about I to guess. Say the woman in the chair. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> she was like always online, and anybody could tap, like heroes could tap in and get information from her. And so I'm glad that that character was able to find some redemption. But DC, uh, about seven years ago, had a big reboot in which they they restarted all their comic books and in their new line, Barbara Gordon uh, had physical therapy and went back to being uh, Batgirl, a PhD student in Gotham City. It was Cameron Stewart's run that you like lent me two volumes of his run oh, yeah. for like the past seven years and I just like it finally read him this week. <laughs> but and I, and I was honestly I was I was kind of mad that I hadn't picked it up sooner because like we've already touched on how Joss Whedon is actually is going to be touching the movie the background movie. But as I was reading it, I I didn't even have that context, but as I was reading it, I was just like, I felt like I was kind of like reading a modern Buffy. Like if like in a a way, like the characterization and everything, like there was just a lot of, there were just a lot of similarities. I think that they handled, like, I think that they handled a female superhero just like trying to live out her life as a student and like just trying to progress um, and balance her life. I think they did it super, super well, especially given like how whenever like any kind of modern like technology is like integrated, (laughs) like uh, there's like, there's a whole storyline around like social media and Instagram and in like Gotham's version of it. I I thought I was going to be way more annoyed about it. And just because of the datedness of it, but like they played it really well and they told a really good story. I had a lot of fun reading Cameron Stewart's run. I was just excited. It, it really did feel like I was like picking up on, I was picking up a Buffy comic again and I was just like, oh, this is perfect. Like I'm, it filled a void. It feels very intentionally YA in a way that a lot of superhero comics don't, even though they're sort of geared towards young adults. The film felt like a really modern, uh, it, it's the first volume is called Batgirl of Burnside. Burnside is sort of the, uh, I don't know, the Wicker Park or the Brooklyn of Gotham City, I guess. 
and Barbara Gordon, she's a PhD student, and she feels like a young woman who is also a superhero and also a doctoral candidate. It feels like somebody in comic, and this is very rare, but somebody in comics writing a young person who has actually some sort of connection to <laughs> what millennials are like in 2018. And that, I wish, wasn't as rare as it is. But the Facebook and Instagram and Twitter stuff, the, the way that she interacts with people around her, doesn't feel forced at all. It feels very natural and very much a part of her development as a character. And the the Cameron Stewart's a great writer. The art by uh, oh, Babstar. Babstar should get be getting more awards than she is. She's fantastic. I loved how the book looked. Yeah, I feel like the aesthetic of that actually played almost just as important of a role as the writing did. At first, I wasn't sure what to think, just because it was like, oh, my gosh, this is kind of like pandering to like millennials and like the YA kind of genre. But like the more I read it, I'm like, but this is like real. This is reality. This is what people can, you know, kind of understand and relate to. And like, if you know, my daughter were to pick this up when she was, you know, in her teenage years, I feel like it would actually be something that would have a positive impact on how she views the world, which I consider a plus, you know, regardless of whether or not like I can, like, I think my, my difficulty reading this series um, by Cameron Stewart was just like, sometimes the, the villains to me were a little superficial. Oh, interesting. But overall, like I do think for like a, a younger generation of readers, like this will be a great story um, that they can relate to. And I think it has a lot of positive messages. But the art to me, I think, stood out more than anything else. I, Babs Tar, man, she's she kicked butt. Yeah, oh, it's fantastic. It. Yeah. The redesign of the costume, the Batgirl costume, which still feels very much a piece of the costume that came before, but but it has a little more of a modern feel to it. it like I loved that. I, I loved how the book looked. It's interesting that you say it pandered. Well, Batgirl. As like a historical footnote, she was originally created. She's one of two characters in the Batman universe who started out from a TV show. Batgirl was created for the 60s TV show to, well, ratings were flagging and they thought that getting a, a hot lady in a bat uniform <laughs> would help bring some viewers back. So they did, and they cast a woman by the name of Yvonne Craig, who was a ballet dancer, and she was originally Jim Gordon's. All, all of the what's currently part of her legacy it continues to be what was there from the get-go. She was Jim Gordon's daughter. She created her own bat costume. She impressed Batman so much that eventually he took her in and trained her. And all of that has stuck for a long time. Didn't save the Batman TV show, which is probably for the best. But uh, she was so popular of a character and became such an icon that she eventually made her way into the comic books in the late 60s. So she was originally created as a way to pander to males, to the male audience. And it's been a rough road, obviously. Uh, she, she took her being paralyzed for more than a decade. But now it, with that girl Burnside and Cameron Stewart's line, which for whatever other qualms it has, is not pandering to men. It feels very much a series that is written for women. It feels like a, something that has written with like female readers mm -hmm. in mind. And that is still very rare in superhero comics. No, I agree with that. I feel like any young girl could read that, you know, in their teens even, and relate to it, and it would be impactful on her. Um, I think that it's just a departure for the Batman series in general, like in that oh, in that, in yeah. that world. I don't look at that as a bad thing. You know, we talked about the killing joke earlier and obviously the depiction of, of Barbara Gordon 
was pretty dark. And as a mother of a daughter, I would not want my, my kid reading that. Whereas I could be like, Hey, pick up, you know, Batgirl Burnside. And I think like it would, it would like, she would enjoy it. And like, it would actually teach her some, some positive morals. I feel like in a, in a relative kind of way, just based upon, you know, young people. I will say like, I liked, I liked the Cameron Stewart's run as well, but I I do think like, like at least, and I wrestled with, with this and I'm curious what you guys think. Like sometimes it felt, especially the dialogue felt a little bit like, middle or like you know man tries to guess what college age girls talk <laughs> oh really like. um yeah just like some of it just felt very on the nose like they're trying clothes on in one scene to like go on dates and like even just the description of the new style was like it's gonna be fun and flirty and it's like okay like we get it because then i went on to read hope larson's current run um she's the current writer um, of the DC Universe Rebirth, and I thought hers was like a lot better, just in terms of how it's written. Um, oh, I haven't heard it. Yeah, like Barbara Gordon is less of sort of this, you know, like and and not to I'm not trying to pick on Buffy, Chris, but less of kind of the you know klutzy every girl, and more of like oh this girl is super smart and a detective. Whereas like I felt like sometimes Stewart's went a little too hard on the like. Oh, like I drank too much last night. Now I can't remember anything. Just like you. <laughs> well, 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 well. Like, like I have to say this. Like I feel like, like absolutely relatable. You know, like feminism has this struggle where like you have to fit into like this. Oh God, I'm going to offend someone, but whatever. I'm just going to say it anyway. Like you can either be super intellectual, I feel like, or you could be like the opposite and just embrace it. And I feel like it's just a hypercritical kind of place to be right now. Yeah. I don't necessarily think there's anything wrong with either or I feel like I've read enough either like on, on both sides of the spectrum here where I feel like the, the Batgirl of Burnside series is pretty like relatable to a lot of girls. And I think that there's, that's important for a lot of people. Like it doesn't mean that you're going to be all book smart and you're going to read a comic and you're going to like, I'm a nerdy girl and I love this and I, and I relate to it. Like I, I would hope that, regardless of who you are and what your interests are, that you could read a comic book and you could enjoy it, you know? Maybe that nerdy girl thing is what I'm getting at. Like, sometimes it felt like, and it, Chris was, I mean, smart to bring on Buffy, because sometimes it felt like this is a dude writing what he thinks smart <laughs> girls talk like. And that feels weird. And I mean, maybe that just feels weird in light of what we, like, kind of know about Joss Whedon now and sort of, you know, being on my guard about that. But it just it just felt like, at least to me, when I was juxtaposing on them, and I read them within a few days of each other, like having Hope Larson at the helm. And then I also read the um, like the Batman and the Birds of Prey series, which was written by the Benson sisters. Just having like females behind the creative team, like it, it just felt more lived in, if that makes sense, because it, it wasn't an either or like. And I, you know, I want to hesitate to criticize this too much because I'm like a dude criticizing a, you know, female character in a comic book. You know, I, I just thought like their portrayals of Batgirl just felt much more lived in as opposed to this kind of like Joss Whedon or even, um, or even like Aaron Sorkin kind of idealized version of the nerdy smart girl, you know, who kind of like has a quip for everything. It's hard 
to get away from the idea that like if you're a guy, especially if you're a guy who who maybe is a, a little bit socially awkward, and these guys do tend to get into comic book writing, <laughs> that they're not going to create a female character who is in some way sort of a, a wish fulfillment or, or a fantasy. And that was obviously a huge issue. It continues today. It used to be much worse with guys creating girls with just huge boobs and like hourglass figures, but we're also ninjas <laughs> and also we're like telepath. Well, don't was, we all wish, got, right? <laughs> it got ridiculous. And there, the pushback has been enough. And there have been, fortunately, and I think this was key to that change was getting more female comic book creators in the industry who could make decisions. And that representation has had a huge effect on the female portrayal in comic books. And that's not just good for women. That's good for men too. It's a great thing that men aren't like spending all day reading comic books about girls in bathing suits who are beating up ninjas. Like this is like a step forward across the board. So then it gets a little bit, I suppose, complicated to your point, Hannah, about which girls are allowed, right? Like which kind, which portrayal of females is acceptable in a comic book? Is there room for both a Batgirl of Burnside and somebody like Elektra over at Marvel who is remains a ninja who fights other ninjas in a swimsuit? <laughs> Her red little sarong thing. Her yeah. Swimsuit, for lack of a better word. You don't want to like, you want to invite as many people as as possible to it. And I think the best way to do that is to get more creators uh, like Babstar, like Gail Simone, like Hope Larson into the industry. And when these women are given a shot, G. Willow Wilson created Miss Marvel on the first try. And Miss Marvel has come to become Marvel's like biggest, like biggest new character in the past 10 years. So it just takes them being given a shot. And when they're given a shot, huge things happen. Yeah. And I think relatability is a huge part in that, in this modern kind of landscape we find ourselves in for women. And it's a weird time. Even the last time that we talked a year and a half ago, I mean, things have changed so much and those are all good things. There's nothing to criticize on that end. It's just, um, I think the idea of what is feminist representation in comics and literature and film, I think it's yet to be decided upon what that looks like. I think because it's, it's not just one thing. It's that women look like a lot of different things. And I think that they're still trying to figure that out in comics, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, femininity, strength, humor, sincerity they're often in conflict with one another so i think it's just an ongoing kind of struggle if you will and i think we're going to continue going in the right direction as long as we you know debate it and i think we're debating it right now and that's important i think um and hannah i want to make sure like give you the last word too like i also think i think that's why it's important to give more female characters to female creators which sounds so obvious that i can't believe i'm saying it out loud but it just seems like maybe that's what I was responding to self-consciously is that like, it just felt weird to be reading like a guy's interpretation of how a, you know, 24 year old woman would speak or relate to people. And I don't want to like get too hard on the book. Cause I thought it was really good. I'm just really glad that like the DC rebirth launched with like female creators at the helm of books involving female heroes. It feels like there's more stories to tell there and, like it sucks it's taken this long to get to this well, point. Well, yeah. 
I can't disagree with that. <laughs> <laughs> and that's why I was like, like I was so pumped for the success of Patty Jenkins and Wonder Woman because it was so well deserved. Yeah, and I'm very excited for the fact that that Anna Bowden is going to be directing the Captain Marvel movie over at Marvel. She's coming off of uh, movies like Half Nelson and Mississippi Grind, kind of a funny story. And why I'm a little bit surprised that DC handed Batgirl to Joss Whedon, even though Joss Whedon has a reputation for creating really strong, like really great female characters. uh, Sometimes there is a little bit of a vibe of it's hard to escape the possibility for any guy. This isn't a knock on Joss Whedon alone. This is a knock on any guy uh, creating female characters that fit some sort of fantasy box. And what you saw with, Wonder Woman is a character who is created by a woman who is obviously like extremely confident and aware of what a woman's portrayal can look like and should look like. And that resulted in making a lot of money. So if DC is going to learn from the past, which so far they have proven kind of like a little bit slipshod in doing, I, I think it would be cool. And I, and I think from the little bit I know about, about Whedon, uh, I think he would support uh, turning those reins over to a woman as well, because they make that's female characters. Shocking, right? Uh, I guess, <laughs> apparently. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that will pretty much wrap it up. Guys, this is our first episode together in a year and a half. First time we've all been in the same room. I had a great time. If nobody else listens to this, then it was still worth this time tonight. I had a great time talking to y'all. Ditto. Yeah, it was same. good to be back. Yeah. I also think like it's nice to have, and I don't want to get you know too over the top, but like it's nice to have a reason to read comic yeah. books again. Like when I'm just kind of sitting in my room, being like, "Oh, what should I, you know, what should I read?" I almost it's hard to turn to a superhero comic because like when you read superhero comics, you want to talk to people about them, and it's a lot harder to do that when there's not people to talk to. So I'm glad that uh, we are doing this again. And if you want to talk to it, that's a, I don't know if you set this up, Ryan, but it's a great segue. If you want to talk to us about the comic books that you're reading, then you can reach out to us on Twitter. We're at Cape Town Pod. Uh, we're on Facebook, I think, technically, but there's no, there's no reason that you we'll would get there. there. We'll get there. <laughs> <laughs> Just at, at Cape Town Pod on Twitter. That's where we're going to be most active for the time being. Before we close out, I want to end with this. Without getting into too many details, our friend Chris has had kind of a long week. And it's been a little bit tough in the interest of being both a good podcast friend and a good in real life friend, because Chris and I are the only ones here who live in the same town. I got Chris a little present. I'm going to describe it for you guys. It is wrapped in Christmas wrapping. It it's is wrapped already. How would you describe the wrapping? Uh, it's <laughs> adequate. It covers. It covers. It covers. It, it covers it. It, it could is. probably cover a few more things if you really like <laughs> ironed it out. Um, and so I wanted Chris to do an unboxing video. These are really hot right now. I wanted Ooh. Chris to do an unboxing video. And uh, he's going to describe for Ryan and Hannah and for all of our listeners, our fans worldwide, his hard week present. I like to imagine there's actually nothing under here. You just like really needed to use this like Christmas wrapping paper. It's a it's a white elephant gift from last month that I haven't been able to find a use for. Fantastic. I wonder how loud that is in there. My man. <laughs> um, 
So first things first, if you actually kept up with uh, us on um, It's a Bird, It's a Plane podcast, uh, a lot of our social media stuff, anytime we were doing any kind of episode previews or episode art, we would use uh, the Funko Pop. And uh, I have probably every other version of Spider-Man except a black suit Spider-Man. And so I have a black suit Spider-Man Funko Pop now. And probably wow okay guys i'm i'm just like super i could cry right now Aww. it's just the it's the hardback of the visions oh, which gosh. is probably sweet yeah uh this was like an eisner award-winning book um darling but, it's a darling gift one of the best yeah. comic books i've ever read in my life one of the best runs i've ever read in my life yeah wow thanks man oh of course yeah i, I felt really bad about it so i'm glad i hope you like reading thank it. you so much <laughs> Oh, man. I wish I had a gift to give to Ryan and Hannah as well. Yeah, I feel like really well, left out right, right now, to be <laughs> Well, if you guys have a hard week, let me know, and maybe I'll throw <laughs> too. Oh, this is awesome. Thank you so much. Oh, of course. Of course, buddy. I'm glad that – I feel like this gift was for Chris specifically, but it's also – in a lot of ways, it's a gift to all of us. Really in no way, but it's sort of like maybe symbolically. I felt Chris's joy. I felt it as he unwrapped that. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, put a price on that. <laughs> if we were like live streaming this, it was just, I've just been grinning for like the past three minutes. Oh, yeah. Maybe we should start a YouTube channel. Ooh. It's like, oh, that's a new thing. It could be the Logan Pauls of our generation, of our nope. older yeah. generation. No, nope. <laughs> would never do. I'm more of a Jake Paul. <laughs> well, like, have any of you ever gotten one of those Marvel Unlimited packages where they send you like random gifts for subscribing? No, no. What is this? Guys. Like the, what is this? Yeah, it's like yeah. the premium thing that you can do. A Marvel Unlimited pack is a premium? Oh, yeah, a premium and you get like thing. enamel pins and stuff. How much do I have to pay? There's no price that I won't pay. What is it? Yeah. Enamel pins? Okay, well, I don't really know exactly what kind of level up subscription you have to be at to get that, but there is such a thing. Money is no option. <laughs> yeah, well, this that is Marvel sounds right. Unlimited Plus. 100 bucks a year. 100 bucks a year? Piece of cake. Yeah, and like <laughs> what, like twenty thousand plus comics. Oh. There's like more comics you get. Yeah. Okay. Well, that might have to be something to research yeah, for next. We could literally spend an entire episode debating like the importance of whether or not Marvel Limited is worth it. What are you talking? Well, I mean, it depends on whether or not you're a Marvel person or not. I mean, you could really you could delve into that. Well, if DC had well, one, DC I would do that. Yeah. So. Yeah. I would really love for DC to... We can talk about it next time, but there is... I've read some rumors that there is something in the works over at DC. That can be a little teaser for episode two. But in the meantime, we will we will get there. We'll be back uh, in two weeks, and we're looking forward to carrying on with you guys. In the meantime, thanks for listening to Cape Town, guys. Thank you so much to CM Studios for producing this podcast. And uh, thank you to our friend Justin Mazel, who put together all of our artwork for the podcast, which I hope... Everybody has enjoyed. He was paid in kisses. And it was was enough, apparently. And uh, thank you to Ryan Hamm for putting together the musical. The the music. The musicals. Musical. (laughs) I don't know the podcast words. And that'll wrap it up for us. In the meantime, I'm Tyler Huckabee. I'm Chris Youngblood. I'm Hannah Mazzell. And I'm Ryan Hamm. No name's Bank Citizen. We'll be back next time with more chills, more thrills, and more comics with Cape Town. (laughs) 